Welcome to the Procurement Show. Hello and welcome to the Procurement Show, the show that tackles the topics we all need to think about and sets out to explore the more interesting bits of procurement. I'm Jonathan O'Brien. And I'm Paul Philpott, and I enjoy asking Jonathan random questions. This week we're talking about the circular economy, in particular sustainable procurement and how the circular economy is part of that. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organisations around the globe. Now, Paul. Yes. Do you own your own reusable coffee cup or do you do disposable? I do, actually. I keep on buying more and more, but I do own several. I have a cupboard full Mm -hmm. of them, too. And what about your phone? Do you get this thing that when your phone does an update, suddenly it's slow and the battery doesn't last as long as it used to? Does that happen to you? Yeah, that happens to us all. Come on. Interesting. And what about when you finish something? Do you just throw it away or do you think, can I reuse that? Can I turn that into a plant pot or something? Okay, we often talk about takeaways takeaways i'll save the remaining for the next morning and i'll keep the pot to yes. use for home cooking i can hardly get my feet under the desk here with all the takeaway cards <laughs> so today we're talking about the circular economy now traditionally the world operates in this kind of take make waste model in other words companies that perhaps manufacture things they buy the resources that they need Perhaps these resources are extracted or they're things that we are using up in the world and they're processed into some sort of product or provided to support a service. They're then sold. The customer uses it. And at the end of its life, it gets thrown away. So we've all become used to this kind of disposable economy that when things reach the end of their lives, you know, that's it. We get a new one. The problem Mm -hmm. is that this model is unsustainable. And the circular economy is a new way of thinking where organisations can focus on being more restorative or Mm -hmm. regenerative towards our planet and society at large. And it means, in practical terms, that companies need to start thinking about how they can reduce or eliminate the consumption of the resources that they use, how they can try and design out waste how they can then keep the products and materials in use yeah, mm-hmm. so you don't get those things on your phone that slow it up after you've done a software update, and how the company can do things that regenerate natural systems. That's the circular economy. And to help us navigate through this, today we have a very special guest. He's been a leading procurement consultant. He's been global head of procurement strategy and innovation with Novartis and is now senior vice president global sourcing at Avantor in Basel. He is also a Sustainable Procurement Ambassador with the Sustainable Procurement Pledge. Please welcome to The Procurement Show, Chris Holmes. Hello, Chris. Hey there. Hey, Hey, Chris. Hey, Jonathan. Great to see you again. You sound like a proper expert on this subject, I can tell you now. I don't know about that. I think it's a topic where it's so wide ranging. I think there's lots of points of view. It's certainly one I'm learning about all the time, frankly, from that point of view. And I think... In general, when you look at the world, you know, I think so much challenge in these kind of topics that I'm not sure anybody's an absolute expert. But yeah, very keen to have this discussion, very keen to learn more. Do you think companies are embracing the idea of the circular economy? Yeah, it's interesting. And I think there is a distinction between probably what, you know, sweeping generalization, but probably what most companies are doing, which is focusing on sustainability, which is fantastic. No problem with that at all. Circular economy obviously goes in an extra mile, if you like, in that sense. And I think you touched on it, Jonathan, in terms of this piece of, well, it's about not even consuming resources in the first place, as opposed to, you know, some of the sustainability focus tends to be a lot on kind of recycling. Again, nothing wrong with that. 
but I think there is a distinction. So I don't think there's so many companies that are necessarily focused truly on circular economy, but I'm happy to be proved wrong on that, that's for sure. Now, this is the procurement show, so I want to ask you, what is the role of procurement within organisations to make this happen? Well, I think as a function, we're in a great position because of our connectivity in the company and outside of the company, obviously, as well. And I think you know, as procurement functions around the world, we have that opportunity to bring the outside world in into our companies. And I think, you know, any company looking at challenges around circular and sustainability cannot do it on their own. I doubt there's a company anywhere in the world that can say, yeah, you know what, I can fix all of this myself. The reality is we all need to partner externally to make it happen. And again, there'll be companies in your supply chain, in your value chain that are way more mature and advanced on the topic than probably you are. So it's that opportunity to kind of collaborate and say, well, okay, what are you doing and how could that work in our environment or how could we do something together that neither of us has even considered yet? So continuing with that collaboration theme, so collaboration externally, clearly we need to do that. What about the wider business? Can we just Mm. get on and do this as procurement people or have we got to get the rest of the business involved? It's definitely business-wide, I think, from that perspective. There's certainly things that procurement functions can begin to do on their own, you know, based on the connection externally. But the reality is, in most cases, A, you need to understand what's the business ambition in the company that you're working for, where does it want to go from a sustainability perspective, from a circular perspective, and use that to kind of frame the activity from a procurement point of view. So, and inevitably, you know, you need to partner with the internal functions, whether it's you know, on the kind of finance end of things, thinking about measurement, which is complicated in this space, but also, you know, with quality, with the kind of design R&D type functions as well, and right through to the sales organization. We'll probably talk about that a bit later when we think about some of the aspects of, well, in circular, do we need to be thinking about bringing product back, which in the past we never had to think about. So, yeah, I think it's definitely a cross-functional effort from an internal perspective. You mentioned measurement there. So clearly you said that measurement gets complicated here. What does that mean? How do we measure some of the social, the environmental benefits here where we can't actually put a number against it? Yeah, and I think that's a challenge that pretty much all companies are facing. I mean, for sure, there are dollar impacts that you can measure in some respects. I think the kind of carbon and greenhouse gas focus around scope one, scope two and three in relation to carbon, I think measurement will get more sophisticated there about, well, how do you actually put numbers to that? How do you assess that in your own company? But then, of course, how do you get an aligned measurement that your supply chain would agree with as well? It's tricky because, you know, most supply chains aren't just operating in a singular supply chain. You know, you may be supplying into the farmer industry, but you might also be supplying into food and beverage or into industrial, in which case, The measurements may look different in every supply chain. And that just adds to the complexity, unfortunately, in that sense. Now, it occurs to me that if we're going to do this and we're going to start thinking about use of resources, Mm -hmm. how much waste we generate, this begins to have implications for what we do. And if we're producing things, the products we make. And it's possible we might actually need to completely redesign the thing that we do, the service we provide, the products that we provide. Now, again, you know, we've talked about the rest of the organization needing to be part of this. But does the circular economy mean we effectively need to completely take apart what we do and think about it with different eyes? Yeah, I think in many respects it will do. Again, depends on the industry, depends on the kinds of products and services that a company's offering. But it's one of the reasons actually why I think it's such an exciting thing from a procurement perspective, because again, the collaboration externally just has to happen. And if you think about companies working on innovation programs externally, 
often that's been quite difficult to sustain that over time. And I think actually the kind of circular economy and sustainability becomes the perfect anchor for long-term sustained innovation programs with our supply base, because again, nobody can fix it on their own. And we really need to get deep into the supply base to understand the whole ecosystem, not just one-to-one relationships. So I think, yeah, from that perspective, it's going to be huge in terms of how we operate and how we have to rethink the way we operate. Chris, I suppose that leads me to ask the question, do you think that it's the role of procurement to lead the way in all of this? Or if procurement is going to lead the way, how do we go about engaging other parts of the business if we're going to literally you know, take the flag and run with it? Yeah, it's interesting. I think, again, it's probably classic consulting answer. It depends. Uh, I think the... It always depends. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think depending on the industry you're in, depending on the type of company, depending on the culture of the company that you're in, frankly, in, in that sense, there definitely needs to be that drive and that tone from the top, you know, that kind of binds it together across the organization and says, look, this is our ambition as a company. This is where we want to go. This is how we want to be perceived, how we want to act. So I think that will very much set the framework in your company to say, okay, yeah, you know what, this is something where procurement should be leading it, or maybe not. Maybe we're just one of the players, if you like, in that sense, because inevitably we'll be looking at our own business as well to say, well, how do we make our own business more sustainable? Hmm. And again, most companies are doing that today already, I guess, in that sense. The Procurement Show, exploring the more interesting bits about procurement. And now, the Procurement Fun Fact. This edition's exciting tale of preposterous procurement, bizarre buying, or simply saucy sourcing. A well-known fast food outlet has responded to calls to eliminate single-use packaging from its products. Included within this initiative was a move away from plastic drinking straws to a paper alternative, provided to a specification agreed with a new supplier. Unfortunately, the change has not gone as well as expected. The positive, sustainable PR has been eroded by the fact that the old plastic straws were fully recyclable and the new paper ones are not. Instead, the company says that you need to dispose of the new paper straws via your general waste. And customers have also complained that the new straws perform poorly and go soggy. In fact, the company's already received a 57,000 petition to get rid of the new paper straws. It seems a change to drive true sustainability is not quite what it seems and possibly was just a big company wanting to be the subject of a green news story. The Procurement Fun Fact Contact us by email hello at theprocurementshow.com Send us a tweet at Procurement Show or connect with us on LinkedIn. Search for The Procurement Show. You mentioned culture, actually. Culture is a topic that we've picked up on in previous yeah. episodes of The Procurement Show. Yeah. Very interesting to understand the role of culture and where that stands within the organisation. It's not just fashion, is it? it? You know, Things change. Things have to change. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think when you think about it from a procurement perspective, there's a mindset piece that goes with that that says, well, look, how do we rethink the way that procurement operates in that sense? If we've spent our lives kind of, you know, squeezing the lemon, if you like, in that sense with our supply base, it's always much harder then to kind of say, oh, yeah, now we want to come and collaborate with you. And the suppliers will, you know, be mistrustful of that kind of approach in some respects. So I think from a cultural point of view and a mindset point of view for procurement, that part is huge. But also even just how we think about supply chains and how we think about suppliers, you know, typically in most companies, if you buy something today, you don't really 
care about what happens once it's been shipped onto the customer. It's not your problem, or it never was in the past. Now it is. And I think that's a fundamental shift from a procurement point of view, where we have to think about, you know what, what happens to this product after it leaves us? Do we have to bring it back? Do we recycle it, remake it, you know, et cetera. And I think that's a fundamental shift in the skill set, actually, from a procurement point of view. Because we're looking end to end at the complete mm. life cycle. Mm. So I want to talk about how we do that in just a moment. But first, let's talk about the bit before that, the kind of waste, if you like. So suddenly we're concerned about waste. We're concerned about what happens at the end of life. And we're perhaps thinking more about recycling. And it occurred to me that actually some of the suppliers in this traditional waste recycling space may not necessarily be the sort of reputable suppliers that we might seek when we're trying to engage a supplier. So I had to take some metal to be recycled the other day. Right. Mm-hmm. And I went to a recycling company and this did not look like a reputable company. You know, there were dogs on <laughs> chains sort of trying to bite me. And it was like a mafia run thing. And it's one of these companies that's grown up and just it's a company you really wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of. Mm-hmm. And yet suddenly as corporates, we're engaging these companies because we need some sort of recycling activity that happens. How do we handle that? How do we make sure that we don't end up using the wrong suppliers to help us do this? Yeah, I think it's an interesting topic. And I think one of the positives, if you like, around that in terms of being ready for it, I suppose, is that over the last, I don't know, probably 15 plus years, there has been a lot of focus on kind of responsible procurement, for want of a better term. Um, So I think a lot of the work on assessing companies, qualifying companies, understanding risk in terms of where we might be exposed to risk has been there. And so I think a lot of procurement organizations, a lot of companies have got at least experience in that direction. And I think probably what that needs is then, okay, how do we layer into that the the kind of risks around, you know, the kind of climate elements, if you like, in that sense. So yeah, whether it's recycling or any of the kind of components actually from that perspective. So I'd like to think that that's a relatively easy and inverted commas piece to kind of build in or bolt into our existing kind of assessment programs in in that regard. With regards to recycling, there are a number of firms, I'm trying to think of one specifically, I won't name the brand, but a very well-known mobile phone company, most certainly has a very positive PR angle in that if you bring your you use mobile phone back to them they will look after the recycling the extraction of all the precious metals and the various components does procurement need to get involved in this process as well the whole recycling aspect you know kind of working things backwards yeah 100 as far as i'm concerned i mean i think you know, ultimately, those providers that are going to provide that service, it's a commercial arrangement of some description. So for sure, I think from a procurement point of view, A, there's, you know, potentially a contract, if you like, to be put in place. But also, I think there's that element of responsible procurement that says, look, do we actually understand what's happening here? And the example you give, and I don't obviously know specifically the name, but I think in any of those kind of examples, we need to be able to understand, is that really happening? Or is that kind of what they're just saying is happening? That's a good point. But I think there's plenty of kind of greenwash out there in that sense that we need to take our natural procurement sort of skepticism, if you like, and apply that in those settings to go, yeah, let's follow that right through and yeah. see is that actually the case. Everything that seems green isn't necessarily yeah. But green. that's also a view of the consumer as well, isn't it? When you return your precious item and you return yeah. it for recycling, the consumer wants to know that's generally happening as well. Yeah, there is yeah. this huge trust thing. We trust the companies that we buy from, yeah. assuming that they've got all this stuff nailed and are doing all these things as well and i guess in a similar way we tend to trust our suppliers which kind of makes me think what is it that we need from our supply base how do we actually begin to drive change with some of our key suppliers 
Yeah, I think it's all about dialogue and engagement. You know, I think it's a very interesting shift in, in the conversation because it is much more of a collaborative discussion. I think as well, in many cases, it can be a discussion that's somewhat outside of the kind of traditional, well, let's talk about the kind of price, let's talk about what's happening with delivery performance, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We need to do all those things, obviously. But I think this is then an opportunity to kind of have a more free-ranging discussion, if you like, in that sense. And I actually have a situation this week on Friday. We've got a review with our biggest supplier, actually. And it's one of the topics that we've got on the agenda with the executives from both companies to kind of go, look, this is something where we may not compete in this particular area, but it's an area where we can collaborate. And this supplier is also a competitor of us. It's an interesting one where we can say, look, you know what? There's some good that we can do together here. There are partnerships that we can create here that won't affect our competitive position, but actually will benefit us both in a number of dimensions. So I see a lot of potential there in that sense, actually. And when we talk about our immediate suppliers, I guess those conversations become reasonably straightforward because we have a contractual relationship with them. They're interested in being able to make sure they can continue to work with us. But then if we look further back up the supply chain, that's where it sort of strikes me that it becomes much more difficult, especially if we suspect, and we may not know, Mm -hmm. we suspect there's perhaps unsustainable use of resources, perhaps emissions, perhaps human impact, forced labor, child labor, and so on. How do we begin to understand our supply chains and drive change? Yeah, and again, I think some of that comes back to the work that's been done in the last years around responsible procurement. It's not to say that that's a panacea and that it means that because we've been doing that as companies that we understand every step in the supply chain, there's enough news stories to say that that's not the case, obviously. But I think it is the continuation of that. And I think it's one of the other mindset shifts for procurement functions that said, look, it's no longer enough to just have that one-to-one relationship. And it isn't even necessarily just about the supply chain. It is more the kind of ecosystem, if you like, in that sense. I'm not in some ways a fan of that phrase, but I think ecosystem actually does describe it isn't just a linear kind of supply chain. It's much broader. And I think there'll be a lot of partnerships that you don't necessarily expect. So as an example, in the space that I work in, I only recently discovered there's an organization out there called My Green Lab, which is looking at how do we make labs green? And labs are huge consumers, obviously, of a lot of single-use type products. And so there's a lot of ambition there around, look, how can we begin to shift the thinking and change the thinking there? And again, I think that's an opportunity to go much broader than just saying, well, I go and talk to my suppliers about it. I think we can talk to this organization and they can link us into a lot of other companies, a lot of other academic institutions, for instance, some of our customers, no doubt as well. So I think it's going to be fascinating to see how those kind of partnerships spread. And again, great opportunity from a procurement point of view to help drive that. Question to both of you. Mm -hmm. Okay, this whole thing sounds very nice. Great for PR. Fine and dandy. Yay, we've got the circular economy. Aren't we all great? But at the end of the day, organisations, they've got shareholders to answer to. They've got a boardroom to report back to how can we make sure that all of this isn't just a PR exercise and it does actually bring about at the end of the day I'm sorry to mention the p word profits it's what it comes down to shall I go first on this because I think there is this assumption that if we're going to try and be sustainable we're going to have to have a green budget to pay for doing it right and I think we're now seeing that sustainability and the circular economy are ways companies can create new profit new competitive advantage by creating a brand that stands for certain things and guaranteeing that. We're seeing a shift in consumer behaviours. We're seeing that consumers are now asking for this stuff, whereas before perhaps only about 3% really cared about it. Now consumers are expecting it and wanting to see it. So there is this growth of new brands that the brand proposition 
is based around sustainability first and foremost. And so I think there's a big opportunity that we could miss if we don't grasp that. That's my view. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, great points. I think a couple of things that I'd add, I think from a global perspective, you know, is so in our faces that this is the issue of our times in that sense. Mm -hmm. It's not one of those things that we might have seen in the past that is kind of flavor of the month or flavor of the year. You know, this isn't even flavor of the decade. You know, this is with us forever, frankly, in, in that sense. And yes, focus may shift over time, but I think the seriousness with which businesses are taking it now is way different from how it was previously. And for sure, there would have been some trailblazers in the past who were always thinking that way or always pushing that way. But I think it's becoming so much broader now. Just as an example, last week, actually, as we were celebrating Earth Day, just internally in our company, people were yammering around the things that they're doing. And it was stunning to see and uplifting, actually, to see the amount of things that people were doing in their personal lives, which I think I suspect a few years ago, probably they wouldn't have been doing. The beauty of this is it means there's a top down push, but there's actually also a bottom up push. And you mentioned the Sustainable Procurement Pledge at the beginning, Jonathan. That's absolutely what the Sustainable Procurement Pledge is focused on, is us as individuals in procurement as opposed to our corporate role, if you like. And how do we begin to, within our companies, make that kind of groundswell of change when it comes to the thinking around green issues, if you like, from a broad perspective. So yeah, very energised by that. I think a few years ago, we wouldn't have even known that Earth Day had happened. And now suddenly yeah. we find ourselves, everybody was talking about Earth Day. Yeah. Yeah. It's time to ask Jonathan. And not only have you contacted us for an autograph of Jonathan... True. Just one person has Just contacted one. us. OK, you've sent in your questions for Ask Jonathan too. Are you ready for this one? I'm ready, go ahead. Here we go. Today's Ask Jonathan has been emailed in from Dan Austin in Northampton, UK. Dear Jonathan, mm-hmm. he says, I have been listening to your podcast, which are very enlightening. Thank, Thank you. you very much Thank indeed. Thank you, Dan. I work in procurement for a company that manufactures pump assemblies. And having just listened to your podcast about sustainable procurement, procurement, I am left with a big question. There are many things that we could look at in terms of the products we make and what they are made from and how we source and there are many areas where we could become more sustainable. However, in almost every case, these things would require a redesign of the product and go beyond what I can realistically influence within procurement. What's the advice you can give me here? That's a a big question. Thank you, Dan. That's a really good question because what we've learned when we've looked at sustainability is for a company to try and be sustainable about 60 percent of what it needs to do touches the supply chain in some way so you can't become a sustainable business without looking at procurement and you can't do that by just looking at procurement it has to be a true organization-wide effort with a cross-functional team so the first thing that has to happen is the organization has got to want to do this it's got to have corporate goals around sustainability um, focus because you can't solve third world hunger overnight you have to be able to take this in small steps and then it's got to be able to get together to say let's look at this product let's look at this pump and let's look at all aspects of it from the design from how we source it from the materials that are used how it gets used how efficient it is in its life 
So you then get a scenario where you have procurement at the table with the designers, at the table with the people that are managing the logistics, and at the table with the people that are looking after the customer experience. And you've got to kind of look at the whole thing and say, how do we look at the end-to-end life of this and begin to make it sustainable? Procurement plays a key role in this, but we cannot do it alone. We can only do it together with the rest of the organization. Ask Jonathan. Email your question to jonathan at theprocurementshow.com. You might be part of the next show. The Procurement Show. The latest thinking, the greatest insights. I want to ask, has anybody actually gone away and looked at the analytics behind of all this? Has somebody said, you mentioned about green budget, Jonathan. Has somebody said that an organisation should allocate X percent towards a green budget? And has anybody looked at if you allocate this X percent, you will get a green ROI back? Or have we not got to that stage yet? Or is it just far too different depending on which organisation you are? I think it's different. I haven't seen that. I've seen some organisations say we need to invest in this and are prepared to do that. Others, the jury's out in terms of whether, you know, show me the money, show me the return on investment. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I would say exactly the same. Yeah, that's kind of where we are at the moment. You talked about this bottom-up approach to it. So what about legislation? So do you think we're going to get new legislation? I mean, I hear these rumours that there's various bits of legislation happening in Europe that might actually make companies much more accountable for what happens in their supply chain, but it seems slow. Mm. Yeah, I think that's true and is probably just reflective of how government works in that sense. My natural tendency, I think, is probably to be pessimistic around what we'll see from governance. And I think, you know, there's plenty of examples of, again, things that on the face of it, you would say look fantastic. But actually, when you dig into it a bit further, you know, aren't. And in the UK, actually, as an example, I was reading just this morning about the kind of initiative around removing coal. And it's not really all that it seems uh, in that sense, you know. And, and, And again, that's where we all have to kind of question these things from that point of view. I think the interesting one will be if there starts to be a carbon tax, because I think that could be something that really drives a change in behavior. And I don't truly know where we stand on that thinking at the moment at you know at a national level, if you like, in different countries. So it'll be interesting to see if that comes and the impact of it, I think, in that sense. Chris, you use the word pessimistic, right? What if we were all incredibly pessimistic and we decided to say, you know what, let's just not bother and do any of this? What will happen then? (laughs) Well, I need to be careful about the language that I would use in response to that. (laughs) I think, to put it mildly, we'd all be screwed. Yes, for sure, there are people who have differing ends of the spectrum when it comes to their views on the impact of climate change, you know, for sure. Respect their right to have a different view, clearly. But at the same time, I think the evidence is out there that says, look, you know, I worry that, frankly, even the timings that we have today, the commitments that we have today, whether at corporate level, whether at national level, aren't going to get us where we need to. And, you know, living in Switzerland, you know, I see the impact. I'm an avid skier and I see the impact on snow every year and what's happening with the glaciers. And, you know, I don't fully understand the impact of all of that, frankly. I find it pretty scary. And targets that talk about 2030 or 2050, you know, that seems a long way off to me. And it feels like this is only accelerating. So now I continue to be a pessimist, but I think we just cannot afford to do nothing. That's for sure. Do you think we need to tighten up those timelines, move the deadline forward a bit? At a simple level, yes. You know, but I do recognise that these are complex things. Mm. Some of them may be more easy to move more quickly in principle some of them are tied up with you know 
obviously some pretty complex setups and the impact on, you know, if we stop XYZ industry overnight, you know, coal, we, I mentioned earlier, if you stop that industry overnight, okay, you're putting a lot of people out of work. Mm. And that's a problem for governments, obviously, for do they get voted back in, et cetera, et cetera. But also it's a problem, obviously, at an individual level that says, well, look, you know, how do you re-employ these people? And it's not an easy balance, that's for sure. And the future is pretty apocalyptic if we don't mm. get this under control. Everything Greta Thunberg tells us is absolutely right. You know, she gets brushed away by many world leaders who find what she says a bit inconvenient, but she's absolutely on the money. We have to do something about this. And Bill Gates recently said in his book, of course, we've got to get the 51 billion tonnes of greenhouse gases each year down to zero within Mm. the next eight years, Mm -hmm. if we stand a chance of getting this under control. Mm. So I think just to bring this to a conclusion and to come back to the takeaways. Oh, we love takeaways. In sustainable containers. So three takeaways, Chris, three steps to making the circular economy happen for an organisation. Yeah, it's a good question. And I think where I would always start with these things is it's hearts and minds, you know, and I think we've kind of touched on it through this discussion that the good thing is there's a massive groundswell of opinion and action at a personal level as well as more broadly, I think, in that sense. But for an individual in a company and and for procurement individual particularly, how is the C-suite thinking about this in your company? Are you plugged into that? Are you part of that discussion? Can you force your way into that discussion if you're not? But it really is that piece about the tone from the top that sort of says, look, what is it that we need to do because of either, you know, customers or our own employees or kind of government legislation type issues. So I think that piece of getting into the hearts and minds is absolutely critical. I think the second piece for me, I think in any company, and I've certainly found it in Avantor, there's a lot going on that you probably don't realize, you know, and I think using those stories, highlighting those stories to show how things can be changed is kind of, uh, use the term viral, which may not feel great at the moment, but <laughs> there's a viral element to that in terms of, you know, you can build those stories, then I think that really helps to spread the word around the company. And then I think you touched on it earlier, Paul, there's an element around, you know, segmentation and analytics, you know, classic kind of procurement stuff, but you can't boil the ocean in that sense. We're all managing to contribute to doing that. But I think at an individual level in a company, you know, can we start to say, look, where do we think we can have an impact? Where are the places to start? Which are the suppliers? Which are the supply chains that I can work with? And what would be the impact of doing something in that particular space? And whether it's around precious metals, whether it's around chemicals, plastics, etc., but trying to figure out where can we begin to build those further stories that will help perpetuate it and really kind of begin to shift the mindset and drive the activity within the company. So those are the three things that I think it's kind of what I'm focusing on. I have to say, being relatively new to Avantor is thinking through that with the company and figuring out, well, how do we drive that change and where do we focus? Chris Holmes, thank you so much for joining us on the Procurement Show today. And we wish you every success with the Sustainable Procurement Pledge. It's been a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you very much. Been great to join you. Enjoyed the lively discussion. So yeah, great fun. Thank Thank you. you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers. Another fascinating interview, another fascinating person. You've got some great contacts, haven't you? Well, he was great, and he is such an expert on the circular economy. He's been doing this for many, many years and held some pretty senior positions to actually be doing this. So he knows a lot about procurement and a lot about how you make it happen in today's global organisations. There are a couple of subjects there, or a couple of answers rather, that will probably put the fear of fear into Mm. some people. It was raised in the Ask Jonathan question that we got sent, and also you picked up on it, about in order to have this 
this circular economy concept yep. running throughout various products and services, you might actually need to literally go back to the drawing board. Am yep. I right in yep. thinking that? And for some organisations, you have to do that. If what you do is historically unsustainable or the way it gets used really has an impact, you've got to start thinking again. And there may even be organisations where unless they do that, that product will be dead in years to come because it just won't be sustainable enough. So actually going back to the drawing board in some cases and thinking about if we were going to design this thing with fresh eyes to be sustainable, what would we change? How do we evaluate whether that's a worthwhile thing to do? There's bound to be some situations whereby if it isn't broke, don't fix it, yeah. or the cost and overheads and environmental impacts of replacing this thing that's already in use with yeah. something new. There's a balancing act there. There is. So you've got to prioritise what you do. So if you're an organisation and maybe you've got a lot of things that you make, a lot of services you provide, you've got to start by thinking, where do we think the impact areas are? Where are the hotspots in terms of materials we're using, resources we're using, emissions, where we're sourcing from, suppliers that we're using, some of the processes involved. So you start by thinking about the sorts of things that are likely to be impactful. And then from there, you can begin to think about the entire product and the areas that you want to focus on in terms of sustainable value engineering the product. Sometimes we're going back to the drawing board, but sometimes we're able to just pick some specific aspects or some specific products and work on aspects in the life cycle of those products that we want to address. Marvellous. Right, you have been listening to The Procurement Show. Thank you very much for your time. Don't forget to click that subscribe button. You've been listening to The Procurement Show. Contact us by email, hello at theprocurementshow.com. Connect with us on LinkedIn, search for The Procurement Show, and on Twitter, at Procurement Show. Visit us at theprocurementshow.com. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organizations around the globe. Copyright Positive Purchasing, all rights reserved. Produced by Fresh Air Studios.